the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us for tonight's broadcast. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who is Jesus, or what does it mean to be saved? How about questions like, what is eternity? Or is there really a God, and where is he when I'm truly suffering? These are just some of the topics we explore every weeknight at this time. Let's join Dudley right now as he begins his message for us tonight. The history lesson today is on the story of Auschwitz, and I want you to take your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to them now and turn to Proverbs chapter 24. That's Proverbs chapter 24. This year is the 75th anniversary of when the Soviet armies liberated Auschwitz, the largest and the deadliest uh, Nazi concentration camp that ever existed. Some call it a concentration camp. I actually call it uh, an extermination camp. As you know, from 1933 to the year 1945, Hitler ruled uh, Germany. And I don't know if it's fair to call someone evil, but in my mind, uh, Hitler was evil personified. He had an army that uh, took control of Europe Part of their beliefs as the German people was that they were superior to all other people on the face of this earth. Hitler and the Nazi party were solely responsible for what's been known or called the Holocaust from 1941 to the year 1945. The word Holocaust, it's an ideological and systematic state-sponsored persecution and mass murder of six million Jews. There were also millions more that were killed, but six million of those that were killed were Jews. And the word Holocaust, the first part of that word in the Greek is the word whole, and cost in the Greek is the word burned. And uh, this Holocaust in Auschwitz, it took place in a town outside of Krakow, or Krakow, Poland, and this is actually the property where Auschwitz took place, and there were thousands of concentration camps. Some people think there were five or six. There were literally thousands of concentration camps, but the worst, the worst was Auschwitz, and they came in on railroad tracks. They brought in in railroad cars, Jewish people, But I know they've got this set up where you can go over there and see what it was like. But they weren't cute little red railroad cars like that. These railroad cars were full of people, full of Jewish people, that the only reason they were brought in here was because they were Jewish. And there wasn't just a few of these boxcars. There were literally hundreds and thousands of them where Jewish people were sent 
24 hours a day, these railroad, these cars, these railroad cars came in 24 hours a day. The first thing they would do is they would separate the men from the women. And you can see that they've moved all the men to that side. They've moved all the women to this side and they're kind of going down and and separating. So when the Jewish people got to the concentration camp, they really, they really didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going to happen to them, but they separated them. And pretty much at the very outset, the first thing they did They separated them, then they stripped them, took all their clothes off of them, all of their belongings, and they marched them into a gas chamber that looked like a shower. They thought they were going to get a shower because they'd been in that railroad car for so long. But instead of of a shower, gas was let let into that chamber, and they all died uh, by being executed in the gas chamber. And then, of course, their bodies were taken and they were thrown into an incinerator. I got online and, and there's all kinds of uh, movies and videos that you can watch from that period. But I, I want to show you a three-minute video. And I'm, I'm going to start preaching after this three minutes. But this video is a testimony of two uh, women who were actually in Auschwitz. They were there and they, they witnessed all of this firsthand. Now, if you have small children, I want you to know that the pictures are not graphic in nature, but the description of what happened is somewhat graphic. I want you to know that it's important that we never forget the atrocities that took place or occurred. And as you watch this video, I just want you to remember that the Jewish people are God's people. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, speaking of Israel, God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And this this event, the Holocaust, is a true story. It happened. Wasn't that long ago. I think it's important that we remember it. I want you to watch this video and then I will come back and we'll start to preach. So watch this video if you would. Day and night columns of women and children and elderly passed by our barrack. We watched them enter the gate that led to the gas chambers. Sometimes they called out questions to us. By that point, nothing could save them. The sounds were magnified when we worked at night. First I would hear the hissing of the steam engine arriving at the platform and the whistle of the train. And within a half hour, hundreds of women, children, and elderly would pass by our barrack and disappear into the entrance of the gas chambers. Those arriving at night saw the smoke and flames belching from the chimneys and even burning bodies in open pits. It looked to them that they were being herded into open flames. They prayed and cried and and screamed, and I would plug my ears with my fingers. Day and night, the transports kept coming. The five gas chambers and crematoriums operated day and night, killing as many as 10,000 people a day. Auschwitz was designed for one primary purpose, genocide. Blueprints of the facility show deliberate designs implemented to make large-scale gassing and cremation an efficient operation. 
The sheer number of murders that took place there on a single day was inconceivable, even for someone who witnessed the horror firsthand. I was at a window. I was looking. I saw them. They even called out questions to us. I saw these women, these beautiful little children, babies, sitting on the road waiting their turn. And I would, you know, my eyes saw it, my brain didn't accept it, and my whole system didn't accept it. That's how, you, that's how I think I coped. And in, not just in retrospect, but I know that I did not have the ability to absorb it. Although they were already losing the war, the Nazis seemed even more determined to murder as many Jews as possible. Irene and her family were among the more than 424,000 Hungarian Jews deported to Auschwitz in just eight weeks. The killing machine quickly reached capacity. The killing was backed up. Five crematoriums, gas chambers, worked day and night, but it still was backed up. And so these people are waiting their turn. They're at the gate, and they have no idea what they're waiting for. And that is my mother. And these two little boys next to her are my two little brothers. And they have no idea, but they are waiting their turn and searching for my sister. She is not in the picture, although I certainly understand what happened to all of them, it is still a painful thing to think that she was having to go through this terrible time by herself. There are no words to explain the evil and the terror of the Holocaust. The genocide of six million Jews, of which 1.5 million of them were children, and one-sixth of all the Jews that died in the Holocaust died at Auschwitz. And that's the history lesson, and we're going to go on with our sermon, but that history lesson is a backdrop for our sermon today. And I want you to, again, look at Proverbs chapter 24, and look at these words. This is in the Bible. This is for you. This is for me. It says that we as believers in God and Christians, we are to rescue those that are being led away to death. We are to hold back those who are staggering towards slaughter. That's verse 11. Now, that word rescue, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Uh, in, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the word for rescue is the word natsal. And the Hebrew word for hold back is the word kasak. So two Hebrew words, natsal and kasak. And these two words, rescue, rescue those that are being led away to death, this word, natsal, is a, a picture if someone was a friend of yours was in a river white water rafting and they were the river was fast flowing and they were going to drown and you were standing on the shore and you looked and here came your friend about to die and at the last second you reached out and you saved you pulled that person from that river you would be rescuing that person the word uh, kasak and to hold back a picture of that, uh, imagine your son or your daughter as a young boy, uh, as a child, 
And they were going, they were getting ready to run out into the middle of a very, very busy street, like the freeway or maybe uh, Rinaldi during rush hour. And you looked over and you saw your child getting ready, ready to run out into the street. And at the last second, you as a parent, as an adult, you ran over and you got in front of that child and you held them back from going out into the middle of the street. That's what these two words mean. And the Bible says that we are to rescue those that are being led away to death and we are to hold back those that are staggering towards slaughter. Verse 12 tells us, if you say, and this, this is the whole sermon, I want you to get this. If we say, well, we, we didn't know anything about it. Or you say, we, we couldn't do anything about it. If you come up with some excuse, the Bible says, does not he, God, who weighs the heart, perceive that you're basically making an excuse? Does not he, God, who guards your life, not know what's going on? And then it says, will he, God, not repay each person according to what he has done? I have three points. I'm going to go over them quickly. Point number one, you and I cannot feign ignorance. We can't just make up excuses. Whenever you and I see people at risk, seeing people that are hurting, seeing people that are suffering injustice, especially when their lives are at stake, we cannot act as though we don't know anything about it. There have been many genocides throughout the years of time in Ireland, in Indonesia, Asia, Africa, uh, Armenia. But every day, every day, right now, all around us are injustices, people who are lost, people who are staggering towards slaughter, people who are in harm's way. And we in the church, this is you and me, just want you to know that we are to be filled with compassion. We are to be compelled to action, to help rescue, to help redeem, to help protect anyone and everyone who feels as though they're being led to the slaughter. And for those of you who think, who are we supposed to be helping? In case you're having a difficult time identifying people who need our help, let me give you some examples of people who need our help. First of all, we have the homeless situation where there are homeless people on almost every single corner of our city. And then we have those that are addicted to drugs and to alcohol and to pornography And then we have those that are being affected by COVID-19, people who've lost their jobs, people that are having a hard time putting food on the table. Then we have children who are caught up in the foster care system. Then we have like a billion people, one billion people who go to bed hungry each and every day, children who literally die every single day of starvation not to mention those who are caught up into sex trafficking, which is going on all around the world today. Then we have babies that right now are being led to the slaughter in the abortion clinics that are, that's taking place right here in our nation and around the entire world. Then we have people that are suffering racial injustice uh, today and every day in our country. This is going on. And then, of course, there are millions of people, millions, and I would say billions of people that do not know Jesus. They are lost. They are lost. And without the Lord, they are headed to a place called destruction 
and you and I should be rescuing them. We should be putting ourselves in the way of trying to hold them back from walking down some of these paths. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 31, right here, it says that you and I, you and I are supposed to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and defend the rights of the needy. And then 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that if one part, if just one person suffers, the Bible says then every part should suffer. The eyes of the church, the eyes of the church should be outwardly focused. That when one person suffers, we should be moved with compassion to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And now, more than ever, we have thousands of excuses on why we can't help people. Like, who am I and what can I do? And I, I've got my own problems and who am I to help? And I, I don't have the time and I don't have the resources and I, I don't have the know-how and I don't, I don't know if I can make a difference. You need to remember that Proverbs chapter 24, verse 12 said that if you say we know nothing about this, does not God who weighs the heart and perceives the heart, will he not repay us according to what we've done or not done? In other words, I just want you to know this, ladies and gentlemen, don't be mad at me. It's, it, it is useless to make excuses to God because God has heard every excuse in the book. We cannot, as Christians, feign ignorance when we look at the world and all the people who are suffering today. You cannot look the other way. Which leads me to my second point, that you and I should love people the way God loved you. You and I should be loving others the way that God has shown love towards you. If God ever rescued you, and how many of you would give testimony that somewhere in your life, somewhere in your past, God has rescued you? He rescued you at some point in your life. Raise your hand right now. Raise your hand if God has rescued you at some point. And if God has ever rescued you, then you should be rescuing others. If God has ever helped you, how many, how many of you would say, yes, God has helped me? If God has ever helped you, you should be helping others. If God has ever comforted you, you should be comforting others. If God has ever saved you, you should be helping others be saved. If God has ever loved you, you should be loving others. If God has ever provided for you, then you should be helping provide for others. If God has ever forgiven you, then you should be forgiving others. If God has ever shown compassion to you, then you should be showing compassion to others. If God has ever bestowed mercy upon you, then you should be showing mercy to others. Does not the Bible say in Psalm chapter 68, verse 5, that God is a father to the fatherless? That if he is a God who comforts and protects and defends and provides and loves the least of these, then so shouldn't you and I be caring for the least of these? When I look at 1 John, I want you to look at this. 1 John chapter 3, it says, now this is in the Bible. This is in your Bible, New Testament. Let's hear it. This is how we know. What love is that Jesus Christ laid down his life. Oh, thank you, Lord, for laying your life down for us. But the Bible says this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for others. If anyone has material possessions and he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, 
How can the love of God be in him? And the Bible says, dear children, let us not love with just words and tongue, but let's love with actions and in what? Truth. Jesus told an amazing story in Luke chapter 10. Someone, it was a lawyer, who came up to ask Jesus a question. And the question that the man asked, he asked Jesus, Jesus, what does it take to inherit eternal life? That's a great question to ask Jesus. I mean, Jesus can answer the question about eternal life. If you have a question about eternal life, Jesus is the guy you want to ask. So this lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question, Jesus, what is the secret? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus uh, didn't just answer the man's question. He answered the man's question with a question of his own. He answered a question with a question. The man says, what do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to the man, you tell me when you read the scriptures, he said to the lawyer, when you, you're a smart guy, when you read the law, when you read the Bible, what do you think? How do you think a man inherits eternal life? And the man, the lawyer, had a good, a good response. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. The lawyer answered, well, I think that the Bible, you know, sometimes we think these are Jesus' words and they are, but the lawyer somehow picked up on this and he answers Jesus' question. The lawyer said, well, I think that the eternal life is all wrapped up to, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, number one. And number two is to love your neighbor as yourself. And all Jesus said was, correct. You answered correctly. And he began to walk away. And the lawyer said, but I have, a, I have a second question. And Jesus said, okay, what's your second question? Which is my third point. The third point is, who is my neighbor? I want you to think about this now. They're having a discussion about eternal life. Now stay with me on this. Jesus and this lawyer are having a discussion about eternal life. And the lawyer wants to know, what is eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you, you tell me. And the man says, to, to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, correct. And then the man said, well, who is my neighbor? In other words, I, 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 I understand the loving God part. And, and you and I, we're all, we understand we got to love God. You're not going to get to heaven if you don't love God. All right, all right. I love God. He said, but Jesus said, to love God. The Bible says to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer wants to know, well, who is my neighbor? It's a good question. You need to know who Jesus is talking about, and what the Bible's talking about when it says that you also have to love your neighbor. Jesus is saying that your neighbor is the one who's been robbed. Your neighbor is the one who's been left for dead. Your neighbor is the one who is hurting and in need. Your neighbor is the one that the religious people didn't want to have anything to do with, didn't want to help. Your neighbor is the one who's been cast aside. Jesus is saying your neighbor is the one that has been shoved aside. Jesus is saying that your neighbor is the one that is on the low rung of society. We hope the message you just heard tonight from Pastor Dudley has been a blessing to you. Isaiah 55.11 reminds us that the preaching of God's Word never returns void. We want you to know we have phone counselors standing by if you are in need of prayer. Our number is simple to dial. It's 
888-818-4777. Again, our phone number is 888-818-4777. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. The greatest story ever told is more than just a cliche. God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That is what the story is all about. The story of the Bible, God's great love affair with humanity. Condensed into 31 accessible chapters, the story sweeps you into the unfolding progression of Bible characters and events from Genesis to Revelation. Using the New International Version, it allows the stories, poems, and teachings of the Bible to read like a novel. The story features a foreword by Max Lucado and Randy Frazee and tells the story of a true God who loves his children, who established for them a way of salvation. Each story in these 31 chapters reveals the God of grace, the God who speaks, the God who acts, the God who listens, the God whose love for his people culminated in his sacrifice of Jesus, his only son, to atone for the sins of humanity. The story, the Bible is one continuing story of God and his people, can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. Our toll-free number is 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also order your copy of the story directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Get your copy of The Story. The Bible is one continuing story of God and His people today. I'm Kyle Welch, hoping you'll join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.